If life is a journey between birth and death, then every step we take matters with every breath. And each path we follow leads us somewhere or to someone to walk beside. We're on holy ground, right where we are. We're on holy ground, under these shining stars. We're on holy ground, when we reach for each other with our
Kevin Mercer and my pronouns are he, him, his. I am a member of your board of trustees and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, 
as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected and provide meaningful worship services during this unusual and trying time. Whomever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching this service. We hope that you will join us when we return to worship at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center so that we will have a chance to meet and welcome you in person. Which brings me to my first announcement. On Saturday, February the 5th, Howard County marked seven consecutive days of test positivity rates below 10%. Woo! Following the plan set forth by the UUCC staff and the Regathering Task Force, UUCC is ready to return to worship in person. UUCC friends, members, and guests are invited to join us for worship in Sanctuary C starting next Sunday, February the 13th. We will continue to follow the CDC guidelines for COVID safety and the policies developed by the UUCC's Regathering Task Force. Check your emails and the UUCC website following this service to register to attend the February 13th service, as well as for information about what to expect. The board is hosting a series of congregational conversations on three open questions, an opportunity for our community to practice visionary, deep, and future-oriented thinking together. You are invited to stay after today's service to join us in a 30-minute small group discussion facilitated by board members. The first question we will be considering is, how shall we become a congregation inspired to work within our community for environmental justice? If you are interested in attending, just stay after the service and you will be placed in a breakout group. If you can't make it today, please join us on February the 20th and we'll do it again. The Board of Trustees is having their regular monthly meeting this Tuesday, February the 8th at 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. The board will be discussing upcoming congregational needs to consider for next fiscal year's budget, and we will be hearing from two of our board committees. The agenda and the materials are posted on the UUCC website. All are invited to listen. Please join us. And finally, if you're inspired by the topic of today's service, we invite you to consider signing up for one of the two upcoming classes with Reverend Page and Robin Slaw related to imagining Article 2 from the UUA. Registration is open and we hope that you will consider participating.
Good morning, UUCC. My name is Paige Getty. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and it is my great honor and privilege to serve as minister of this congregation and to be with you again this morning. You can find the order of service online, either by using the link that was in the chat or using the QR code that's going to appear on the screen now. If you're a guest with us today, welcome, and please complete the visitor form that's available online so that we are better able to stay in touch with you. We will honor personal joys and sorrows during the service later in the service today, so please send your joys and sorrows via email to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. And remember, even though we're still all virtual today, even remotely, you can participate in some of the worship rituals that we will enjoy here in the sanctuary when we're together by lighting your own flame, whether in a chalice or not, by honoring joys and sorrows with your own bowl of water and pebbles or marbles or beads. So make sure you have your ritual supplies nearby. Thank you to all the staff and the volunteers who are supporting this service today, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, a handful of us here in the sanctuary, Jen and Carla and Chris and Tim and Phil and Liam and Hannah and Michael and Robin. Thank you all for your contributions today. It's good to be with you again after a week away from you. Here we are on the first Sunday of February. Some among us this week have observed Imbolc marking the halfway point between winter solstice and the spring equinox here in the Northern Hemisphere. We're engaging in the observance here in the United States of Black History Month. We're opening ourselves with some cautious optimism to the possibilities of safer regathering in this phase of pandemic life. And however we gather, it's good to be together. This morning's service is inspired by the ongoing work of the Unitarian Universalist Association's Article II Study Commission. This is a group that is charged with presenting a new articulation of principles and purposes for consideration at the UUA's General Assembly in 2023. These principles and purposes, not only their specific content, but also, and perhaps especially, the fact that we deliberately review and revise them periodically are foundational to our understanding of who we are as a progressive religious movement. So today's service will be a little bit informational, but mostly, I hope, inspirational, as you are invited to engage in and contribute to this review of those principles. The original charge to that commission included an admonition to root its work in love as a principal guide. So as we open ourselves to consider the ways that our beloved Unitarian Universalist principles do and do not adequately express the foundations of our faith, as we consider whose voice is present in those principles and whose is not, as we consider how to express our deepest values ever more faithfully, I invite you to hear these words of Yolo Akili Robinson, a writer, a yoga teacher, and the executive director and founder of BEAM, Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. This is from his writing in Dear Universe, Letters of Affirmation and Empowerment for All of Us. Our children did not get their wounds alone. They were created by the actions of our family, our communities, and our world. 
They were created by the things we chose to believe in, the causes we chose to champion, and the despair we chose to neglect. We didn't get them from individuals, and we cannot heal them operating as individuals. This healing work is communal. It needs to be present along with the ongoing work that the village must do to heal itself. Healing our children means we need to put love in every possible place we can think of. With that, UUCC, let us worship. As you may have read recently, UUCC is launching Spotlight, an initiative to feature one area of congregational life each month, showcasing the members, mission, and work of that featured ministry and creating avenues for congregants to connect more deeply with that ministry. To start things off, this month we are spotlighting Karuna, UUCC's lay team of trained pastoral caregivers who are available as listeners in times of transition, sorrow, illness, grief, celebration, and joy. If you haven't already read caregiver Anne Gould's beautiful personal reflection that was published yesterday on the Voices of UUCC blog, please do that and be on the lookout this month for more such testimonies about the Karuna ministry. This morning, Carla Pierce, another longtime Karuna caregiver, will dedicate our flaming chalice with a reading. If you have a chalice or other flame to light, I encourage you to join in this ritual as we light the chalice here in the sanctuary. Carla, thank you for being here. The Church is a Body by Victoria Weinstein. The church is a body. May this body breathe and be together in the spirit of hope. May it feel held by comfort. Those who seek consolation, may they find it in the solace of this moment. The church is a body. It is as strong as all the people who have ever gathered within its walls. It is the power of all they dreamed and all that they have done. The church is a body. It is as vulnerable as the most newborn and untried of its members. It is ancient and it is ever new. The church is a story. It is the story of lives that are interwoven, brought together in this piece, this place, and this time, and helping one another along the arduous path from birth to death. The church is a vision, it is a vision of unity amid diversity. 
It is a vision of reverence for all of creation. It is a vision that beckons us beyond the concerns of our own skins. May we abide as one body in the spirit of faith, hope, and love that is the story and the vision of this church. Thank you, Carla. Now will you all join your voices in speaking together the covenant of this congregation that we wrote together and that we were promised together. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now our Zoom host is going to allow you to unmute yourselves and say hello to one another briefly. Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your Director of Religious Education, and I use the pronouns she, her, and hers. And I'm so happy to be with you this morning, at least virtually. I'm about to tell a story about a Unitarian church started in Transylvania. And I hope you listen to the experiences of the little child in the story and imagine yourself there, experiencing the wonder and awe that she saw. And I hope you remember the times that you found a light to help guide you when you needed it. So this story is called A Lamp in Every Corner by Janine Grossmeyer. Once upon a time, many years ago in the land of Transylvania, in a mountain valley with trees, forests of beech trees, a village of small wooden houses, the people of the village were of the Unitarian religion, and they wanted a church of their own. They wanted a church set on the hillside, they decided, looking down on the village as a mother looks down upon her sleeping child. So the people of the village labored long and hard to build themselves a church. The stonemasons chiseled the great blocks of stone, the glaziers made tiny glass panes and fit the windows. 
The foresters sawed tall beech trees into enormous beams, and the carpenters hung wood for the pair, carved wood for the pair of wide opening doors. They brought a bell from a faraway city and hoisted it by ropes up to the top of the tower. And the weavers wove fine cloths for the altar table and the smiths hammered black iron into tall lampstands and hammered thin bronze into shining oil lamps. And finally, when the building of the church was done, the painting of the church could begin. And oh, it was so beautiful. The painters mixed bright colors and all of the people, old and young, men and women, boys and girls, everyone came to decorate their church. They painted flowers and trees and designs around the windows and different designs around the doors. And at the end of the day, when it was all finished, when their church was finally done, the people of the village stood back to admire it and then to sing a song of happiness and praise. The village had a church now, a church set on a hillside, looking down on the village as a mother looks down on her sleeping child. We will eat now, announced an elder of the village because everyone was hungry after their long day's work. And later tonight, we will come back to pray. So the people of the village walk back down the hillside to their homes and their suppers, all except one little girl named Zora and her father who stayed behind. They brought their own bread and cheese and they ate slowly sitting on the grass and admiring their new church with its strong walls, its tall tower and its magnificent bell. After they'd eaten, they went back inside and Zora cried as she ran from picture to picture. Look, father, see how grand. Yes, it is, said her father, looking around and nodding with pride. Yes, it is. But father, she said suddenly, we haven't finished. What do you mean? There are tall iron lamps all along the walls, but there are no lamps. The church will be dark when the people come back. Ah, no, little one, said her father. The light of the church comes from its people. You'll see. And then he rang the bell to call the people to worship and took his daughter back outside and they waited on the grassy hillside. The sun had set behind the mountains and night was coming soon, but in the growing darkness, tiny points of light came from many directions and moved steadily up the hill. Each family is entrusted with a lamp, little one, her father explained. Each family lights its own way here. Where is our family's lamp? Your mother is carrying it. She'll be here soon. So the many lights all moved closer together, gathering into one moving stream, all headed the same way, growing larger and brighter all the time. All the families all around the church were doing the same thing, and soon as they hung the lanterns on the stands, the church was ablaze with light in every corner for all the people of the village had gathered to pray and sing. All through the worship service, Zora watched the lights flicker and glow. She watched her family's lamp most of all. 
And when the service was over, her father lifted her high and she took the shining bronze lamp from the lampstand. The lamp flame lit their house when they returned home. Zora washed her face and got ready for bed. Mother, Zora began as she climbed into bed and lay down. Yes, little one, her mother asked. Father said the light of the church comes from its people. Yes, but also the people take their light from the church. Yes, indeed, said her mother. And even when we're not in church, even when the lamp is not lit, we carry the light of truth in our minds and the flame of love in our hearts to show us the right way to be. That light, the light from truth and love will never go out. Never, asked Sora. Never, said his, her mother. And this bronze lamp will last for many, many years. And when you're grown, we'll give the bronze lamp to you. And when your children are grown, you will give the lamp to them. And all of you will carry it back and forth to church every time. But there's only one lamp, Zora said. So make another and let the light grow. And someday, Tell your children to make more lamps too. The years passed. Zora grew. The bronze lamp came into her care and she kept it polished and clean. And when the bell rang out across the valley to call the people to worship, she carried the lamp back and forth to the church on the hillside, the flame always lighting her way. And when the time came, she made more lamps and gave them to her children who made even more lamps and gave them to their children. And so it went on through the years, even until today. And always the light of truth and the flame of love from that Unitarian church on the hillside continued to grow and show them and us the way. So that's the end of the story, but not the end of Unitarians. Eventually, we grew up with the Universalists who were also shining lights on the world. And today, I wonder what you might learn about our faith tradition that's new to you. I wonder what inspiration will you gain this morning? And I also wonder how you might help lead our faith tradition into the future so that we can keep shining that light of truth and love. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. And now, wherever you are, will you rise in spirit and or in body? And we're going to sing together the hymn, As Tranquil Streams, which was written in honor of the consolidation of the Unitarians and the Universalists into the Unitarian Universalist Association. So let's join our voices now in singing. Of you. 
freedom that reveals the past, but trusts the dawning future more, and bids the soul in search of truth, adventure boldly and explore. Prophetic church, the future waits for poem by Robert Walsh, titled Fault Line. Did you ever think there might be a fault line passing underneath your living room? A place in which your life is lived in meeting and in separating, wondering and telling, unaware that just beneath you is the unseen seam of great plates that strain through time. And that your life, already spilling over the brim, could be invaded, sent off in a new direction, turned aside by forces you were warned about but not prepared for. Shelves could be spilled out, the level floor set at an angle in some seconds shaking. You would have to take your losses, do whatever must be done next. When the great plates slip and the earth shivers and the flaw is seen to lie in what you trusted most, look not to more solidity to weighty slabs of concrete poured or strength of cantilevered beam to save the fractured order. Trust more the tensile strands of love that bend and stretch to hold you in the web of life that's often torn but always healing. There's your strength. The shifting plates, the restive earth, your room, your precious life, they all proceed from love, the ground on which we walk together. And it is in that spirit of love and in the spirit of our walk together that we pause and offer you the opportunity to make a sacrifice of your financial gifts as we give to the work of this congregation in the world. So now, as Michael offers his gift of music, your offerings will be very gratefully received.
Nearly every Unitarian Universalist knows of the seven principles, even if they can't recite all seven of them, or any of them, or maybe any except for the first one. Even if they're indifferent to them, or don't find the principles personally meaningful or inspirational. Even if the statement of principles feels too religious or not religious enough. Most of us know of them. They're a point of reference, a set of statements that helps explains who we are as a people of faith, a framework around which we've built religious education and other programming over the past several decades. Here in UUCC, we refer to these principles in our own congregational covenant that begins by saying, strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles. We're human, so of course we're going to respond in unique and varying ways to something that is so ubiquitous throughout a congregation and a movement with which we've associated ourselves. Over the years, I've heard from individual Unitarian Universalists who find no value in the principles, from others who embrace them with deep devotion, from others who treat them legalistically, and I've heard from others who reject them as feeling too much like a creed. And I've heard a lot of newcomers say, I read those principles and thought, that's a religion I could be a part of. So for those of you who don't have them memorized, here's that statement of principles in its current form as it appears in Article 2 of the bylaws of the Unitarian Universalist Association. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, the right of conscience and, and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I don't actually remember the first time I read the seven principles, so I know that I didn't have a particularly noteworthy response to them at first. But over the years of my own journey of faith, in both personal and professional ways, these principles have been a very important touchstone for me, a guide, a reference point, a source of grounding and a reminder of what is of highest value in this tradition that has nourished me. I even wrote an essay about the fourth principle, articulating our shared commitment to a free and responsible search for truth and meaning that was published 15 years ago in Ellen Brandenburg's collection, The Seven Principles in Word and Worship. I've heard criticisms of the principles as weak and meaningless, that they're just ethical statements with which any reasonable person would agree. But that has not been my experience. 
Having come to Unitarian Universalism out of a more conservative religious tradition that I experienced as being rule-oriented, that ostracized those who didn't fit a very specific behavioral profile, that demonized different traditions as other and bad, I have found these principles to be inspiring and challenging, calling me to commitments that were fresh and new and deeply meaningful. And they're theologically based, too, in ways that distinguish us from the more conservative strains of Christianity from which our liberally religious forebears distinguish themselves. The principles express, for example, a commitment to searching for truth and meaning instead of being told by a single authority what the truth is. They promote individuals' inherent worth and dignity instead of inherent sinfulness. They affirm interconnectedness among a web of life instead of a separateness from that which is deified. And whatever our personal, individual feelings about the seven principles, they are a codified statement of covenant, a covenant among congregations who are members of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And while they may affect individual persons in different ways, they weren't designed as personal statements of belief or commitment. They were designed as institutional commitments values, ideals, a covenant among congregations. In my preaching over the years, for example, I've used the principles as guides to help focus our attention and decision-making in ways that are consistent with our shared Unitarian Universalist values. UU World journalist Don Skinner reminds us that the principles and the sources of our faith may seem immutable, but they've been changed twice since the original UUA principles were created in 1960 during the consolidation of the American Unitarian Association and the Universalist Church of America. The original language, six principles with no sources cited, was overhauled as the result of a review in the early 1980s. And the seventh principle, affirming the interdependent web of all existence, and five sources were added at that time. The sixth source, Earth-Centered Traditions, was added in 1995. In the explanation of the current study commission's work, we're reminded that for some religious institutions, the, religious, the equivalent of Article II would be regarded as a permanent statement of belief. Ours, however, is a living tradition. We commit ourselves to regularly revisiting our principles and purposes to ensure that we are relevant, that as we grow in understanding, our principles and purposes grow too. Since, quote, new occasions teach new duties, they write, we must continuously examine our principles and purposes to see what is missing, what is no longer important, and whether the language communicates our core values to the current times. They go on to say, we are now well into the first quarter of the 21st century. Our association has grown in its understanding of systemic oppressions, such as racism, ableism, and heteronormative beliefs. 
However, many people feel the language of Article II does not reflect these learnings. The board of the UUA believes we need an Article II which leads us into the future. More than 20 years ago, it was published in the year 2000, writer Warren Ross published an essay in UU World about the history of the principles and purposes, tracing more thoroughly the changes that Don Skinner had noted in his article. At the end of his essay, Warren Ross comments, in 2020, when everyone presumably will have perfect vision, our current principles and purposes may also be perceived to have inadequacies that demand radical rewriting. Therein lies our genius. It's a process that is rightly called renewal or regeneration. And that is what has not changed and let us hope will remain unchanged 20 or even 100 years from now. Our commitment to renewal and regeneration. And so right now, a little past 2020, as Ross predicted, we are in that process of renewal and regeneration. The Article II Study Commission is leading the effort, but you are invited to participate too in a variety of ways. There's an individual survey that you can access through the Commission's website. But even better, there are opportunities for facilitated engagement and conversation with other Unitarian Universalists about this covenant to reflect not in individualistic and self-centered ways, but in community, listening and learning and growing together. Walter Royal Jones led the rewrite of the principles in the early 1980s. Reflecting later on the process, he noted, for example, that the switch from the free and disciplined search for truth in the 1961 statement to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning was significant because it suggested that the search takes place in community. That's what we're intending to do now. I know, for example, that my own thinking is dependably enriched when I listen and integrate what others have to say, as I've been doing with collegial conversations about the principles. Recently, David Schwartz wrote, for me, the, the particular formulation of what the principles say is far less important than the way in which they work as an instrument that orients us toward a set of values and commitments that we hold in common. The principles, he writes, are a map, not the territory, meaning both that they're an imperfect reflection of reality but also that they do point to something real, fundamental, grounded, vital, something that doesn't go away even if we stop paying attention to it. The territory, he says, doesn't change even though our ways of mapping it transform over time. He says, I sometimes find the principles too wordy, vague, unmemorable, non-directive, uninspired, but that critique misses the point. The principles aren't the mission of the church or even a description of the kind of life we invite people into. They describe a set of features of the territory of our shared religious life. 
we know it's got this river running east-west and these mountains over here and a city over there. For some, there's power and beauty and inspiration in the map. Or maybe that map provides a profound orientation to the life they move through. And some folks are going to ignore it and strike out over land on their own, which doesn't mean the map's not valid. It just means the map isn't the organizing tool for that person's journey. Though perhaps they pick it up from time to time and say, oh yeah, I did cross that river, didn't I? Even though I wouldn't have drawn it that way. I think the most valuable comment in this collegial discussion came from Reverend Elizabeth Mount, who wrote, I'm not invested in what the actual wording of the seven principles are, but we covenant to affirm and promote is fundamentally a choice to be an orthopraxic religion instead of an orthodox one. And that choice to be united by our behavior instead of our words or doctrine is a deep agreement about who we are and how we are together. There's a massive difference, they write, between saying, I believe that all, I believe that all people have inherent worth and dignity. Yeah, that exists, and I need to do nothing to make it true. Versus, I promise that this congregation will actively create and enhance the worth and dignity of all people in association with all these other groups of people. This covenant isn't a belief structure in the sense that we affirm these things to exist as truth. It's a commitment to a practice. If we have a creed, they write, it is underneath our principles and it goes something like, we believe in the power of people to create heaven or hell on this earth, and we believe we are accountable to humanity and all creation for whichever we choose. Therefore, we choose the intentional creation of communities where love can grow. The question that is before us, us as an association, the question that the Article II Study Commission is charged with addressing is how this covenant needs to change if it's to remain relevant to our time. What have we learned in the more than 35 years since the principles were codified in 1985? What do we better understand now about the world in which we live, the nature of humanity, our responsibilities to the planet and to one another? What are we, as a religious association, facing more directly about how we have reinforced and perpetuated white supremacy culture and patriarchy and other systemic oppression? And what should this covenant say about it? I think of the words of Dr. Weinstein, which Carla shared earlier. The church is a vision. It is a vision of unity amid diversity, it is a vision of reverence for all of creation. It is a vision that beckons us beyond the concerns of our own skins. We are all being invited into a process of articulating the most foundational values of our faith in this time and place, a faith dem that demands that we consider concerns beyond our own skins. 
Starting this week in this congregation, we are hosting two different ways for you to engage in facilitated conversation about the principles and purposes. You may join me for a six-session exploration on Wednesday evenings beginning Wednesday, February 16th, or you may join Robin for an eight-session different style of exploration on Thursday afternoons beginning this February this Thursday, February 10th. Actually, you don't have to choose. You may do both if you want to. Both programs will be fully virtual. You may participate no matter where you are. In the order of service online, there's a hyperlink that says click here for information from the announcements. And the registration for these reimagining Article 2 sessions is there on that link. There was also an, link, an article in the link, our e-newsletter that was distributed on Friday. The same information is near the bottom of the adult religious education page on our congregational website. And if all else fails, reach out to Robin or me and we'll connect you. Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, only those ideals that are meaningful to those who are steeped in misery may be accepted as principles by those who dwell in safety. Only those ideas that are meaningful to those who are steeped in misery may be accepted as principles by those who dwell in safety. The dominant culture of Unitarian Universalism is characterized by those who have dwelt mostly in safety. And we are being called now to consider all among us, including those who have been steeped in misery, marginalized, outcast, and to articulate a principled vision, a commitment, a covenant that is broadly meaningful as a statement of faith. So together, let us do that. Let us remember, as poet Robert Walsh said, the shifting plates, the rest of earth, your room, your precious life, they all proceed from love, the ground on which we walk together. Together, whatever our individual attitudes about the principles, we can shape a vision of who we are as a religious people. Together, we can draw the circle wider, expanding our understanding of who is us. Together, let us find a way forward. Amen. And now, together, let us sing. Rise again, if you will, in body and spirit. We are answering the call of love. the call of love. 
Sometimes we build a barrier To keep love tightly bound Corrupted by fear Unwilling to hear Denying the beauty we found We are answering the call of love Hands joined together As hearts beat as one faith we dare to proclaim we are answering the call of love a bright new day is dawning when love will not divide reflections of grace in every embrace fulfilling the vision divine Hearts beat as one, emboldened by faith, we dare to proclaim, we are answering the call of love, we are answering the call of love. Thank you again to Carla for helping with, as we honor joys and sorrows. During worship each week, not only do we give voice to our personal joys and sorrows within the community, but we also drop individual stones into a communal bowl of water to represent the way that each life, each story ripples out and is held in our collective embrace.
And finally, one last stone for you and whatever you're holding right now. May you be held in the embrace of love. Thank you, Carla. And finally, one last stone for you and whatever you're holding right now. May you be held in the embrace of love. Thank you, Carla. Will you now join me for a few moments of reflection and silence and prayer? Great and holy spirit of love, of life, that which convicts our hearts and our bodies to do right in the world, to turn and see one another, to hear one another, to draw the circle wider, to answer the call of love. May each of us have what we need to be nourished, to be courageous, to be loving, to be comforted in our grief, the healing we need to recover from all kinds of wounds and illness. And may we in turn bring that healing and that love and that courage to the world. Let us share a few moments of stillness and quiet that prayers may be fully known.
We close with words written by Reverend Erica Hewitt and inspired by Reverend Elizabeth Wynne. To be a Unitarian Universalist means we'll never be done with the work. The work of telling the truth about oppression. The work of resisting any laws, policies, or practices that deny anyone their humanity. The work of stubbornly seeking out the spark of the divine in each other no matter what. The work of creating heaven on earth. To be a Unitarian Universalist also means we're not alone in the work. We are not alone because of our promises to love one another. We are not alone because we are companions on the journey. We grow ourselves into allies, helping one another get free, because none of us is truly free until we all are free. Amen. Be well, UUCC. See you next week.
you so much for coming. You've been really wonderful. Thank you. Eva Cassidy. Thank you.